Welcome in to a mailbag episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Plunkett, here flying solo on this very late Wednesday night at the time of recording this. So if I sound a little quiet, it's because I'm being respectful to my sleeping family by keeping my voice down a little bit. Um, But I will say uh, that this episode uh, is a week overdue. First of all, shout out to the folks who answered my mailbag thread last week with questions. I'm going to get to all of those on this episode. Also going to talk about uh, some huge college football news that came down on Wednesday evening late afternoon uh, regarding the retirement of the best college football coach in the history of the sport. That is not an exaggeration. Nick Saban has retired at Alabama. Um, Talk a a brief moment about that. And then I'm recording this late at night because TCU Hoops played this evening and the men got what I consider to be a very, very good win and they looked good doing it over Oklahoma. So, that's the that's the run sheet for this episode. Um, a little bit of podcast business before we dive into all of it. As always, this is the TCU podcast for the Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Let me start that over. This is the TCU podcast for the Republic of Football Network, part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Nailed it. Kind of, not really. Anyways, thankful to. DCTF for their continued partnership with us over here at Frogs Insider. Also thankful, very, very thankful to Health Hefaker Stadium Goods and Home Field Apparel um, for sponsoring the podcast as well. They've been incredible partners over this past little less than a year. We're coming up on we're coming up on a year though here in March. We're gonna have to see what we're gonna do for our one year celebration over here at, at Frogs Insider. But um Check out homefieldapparel.com. Check out healthhalfacresg.com. Incredible, incredible uh, merch at both of those websites. Um, Tell them that you you heard about them from Frogs Insider. Um, uh, Very, very thankful for for, for their partnership and their sponsorship of the show. Okay. I want to jump in with this Nick Saban news and I'm sure Melissa and I will talk about it on the next episode as well because I want to hear her thoughts Um, but I also think it would be ludicrous to record a podcast episode on the day that it happened and not even not even talk about it a little bit so Nick Saban retired announced his retirement uh, on Wednesday afternoon after 17 seasons at Alabama Um, six national championships I saw uh, a tweet earlier Every four-year player to play under Nick Saban at Alabama won at least one championship, one national championship. That is insane. And I think that in and of itself is a testament to the legacy of, like I said, the best head coach ever in college football. Um, this, I, I think it's it's interesting to to look at the reaction to all of this on Twitter because you've got Auburn fans who are who are throwing toilet paper all over Toomer's corner. Um, you've got fans all across the SEC celebrating his departure. Um, you've got coaches all over the country thanking him for his influence. 
Um, but the, the funniest aspect, in my opinion, of Nick Saban's retirement is that it came moments before Charlie Baker was set to give a speech at the National Coaches Convention. <laughs> and once again, you know, I mean, you talk about it, maybe probably an inadvertent power move on Nick Saban's part, but still, the timing is hilarious insofar as the president of the NCAA who has had his teeth kicked in for the better part of two years now since taking this job um, over NIL and the transfer portal and typical NCAA tomfoolery that has kept student athletes from playing and, and colleges from doing what they need to do, um, conferences from doing what they need to do, uh, just general ineptitude um, for the legendary head coach Nick Saban to announce his retirement right before you go up and speak to essentially the rest of the coaches in the country. Um, it's pretty funny to me. It's pretty funny to me. Um, if we ever get to the point where there is a college football commissioner like uh, Chip Kelly has suggested that he wants, uh, I would love for it to be Nick Saban. Um, Nick Saban is... Um, this is this is such an interesting moment in the history of college football that we get to now live through because the ripple effect from his retirement is going to be far and wide simply because the pool of candidates for this Alabama job will be some of the top names in the sport today. And a lot of coaches are going to get raises and extensions. One coach is going to get this job, and that's going to set off a chain effect of schools whipping out their checkbook for some other big-name coaches. Um, and I'm very excited to see how that all goes down over the next week or two um, as as that Search gets underway for Alabama. It's it's one of those moments in in uh, where you can stop and understand that this is a major historical moment for college football, right? Like Gary Patterson leaving TCU was a major moment for TCU. Nick Saban leaving Alabama is a major moment for the sport of college football. Because everything that has been done in the sport for the past two decades has been done either to try to emulate what Nick Saban is doing at Alabama or directly to try and beat what Nick Saban is doing at Alabama. What Dabo has done at Clemson, what Kirby has done at Georgia, what Dan Lanning is trying to do at Oregon, what Kalen DeBoer is trying to do at Washington, what Mike Norvell is trying to do at Florida State, what Sonny is trying to do at TCU, what all of these head coaches are trying to do all over the country is find a way to beat the algorithm that was Nick Saban and winning national championships. Can you replicate it or can you beat it? Those are the two main questions that have, that have permeated college football for the last two decades. Um, and now that goalpost has not only shifted, but been completely removed from the sport. And what happens next, I don't think anybody knows. Um, 
I'm very, very interested to see how 2025, 2024 and, and 25 and, and beyond play out uh, in the sport because Nick Saban won't be there, uh, at least in that role. And um, it's going to create quite the power vacuum, not just in the SEC, not just in the state of Alabama, but across the country. So Nick Saban is retired, and uh, I think it's okay for folks to just sit in that for a moment and try and process because to me at least this is like Phil Jackson retiring right uh this is this is like um I mean that's probably the the closest example that I can get to at this point is you live your entire life essentially with this one person as the beacon of um Of, uh, as this the kind of this this pillar of consistency and excellence and greatness and everything has been modeled after that and then all of a sudden that pillar is gone and you know what fills the void after that uh, you know it's Phil Jackson was that for the NBA with seven championships six championships whatever it was now Nick Saban is that for college football whenever Bill Belichick leaves the NFL whether that's in a week or 10 years or however long it will be the same thing there. Um, it's it's just it, it, we are we are in we are experiencing a major historic college football milestone, and I don't think that's being overdramatic. Um, okay, let's move on to TCU men's basketball before we jump into the mailbag questions. TCU beats number nine Oklahoma eighty to seventy one. On Wednesday night, um, a very convincing win. You look at the score, you look at the box score, if that's all you did, you might say, okay, it was a nine-point win over top-ten team. That's a really good win. But the way TCU played in the second half of this game, getting up by as many as 17, uh, to me was really an impressive performance and uh, an excellent response to the way things ended in Lawrence on Saturday. Um Manuel Miller, 27 points and nine rebounds. He crosses the 1,000-point threshold for his career at TCU. Um, the 40th player in TCU history to do that. And uh, just so impressed by his growth this season. He um, entered his time at TCU as a five, a true center. An undersized but true center. He had attempted maybe 23s in his two seasons at Texas A&M. Uh, and here he is now shooting you know, 40% in the game from three, 27 points, playing on the perimeter, guarding on the perimeter, and still managing to pull down nine rebounds um, to lead the team. Uh, just so impressed by his growth this season. I think he's made um, incredible strides, and I think that he has taken the advice that he had gotten this offseason from NBA scouts and from Jamie Dixon and from all of those other people around him, and he's really taken it to heart. He's processed it, and you can see the fruit of his labor on the court right now. Um, very, very impressed by Emmanuel Miller. Avery Anderson also with an incredible game, 15 points, five assists. Um, he turned it on in the second half with 13 points, a couple big threes around the midpoint of the second half that helped TCU extend their lead to double digits. So he, he did a phenomenal job. Um, and then Jameer Nelson has looked incredibly comfortable coming off the bench in the last four games. He went four for four in the first half to help TCU take a lead. Um, 
uh, nine points in the first half, finished with, I think, 11 or 13 for the game. Also pulled down seven rebounds, which was really big. TCU did not rebound well in this game in the first half, uh, which is, is the continuation of a trend over the last few games for TCU where they just haven't consistently been rebounding well. Um, but they were plus eight in the second half. A lot of that had to do with what Jameer Nelson was doing from the guard spot. Um, so this is a really good win, a top 10 win for TCU. Uh, defending your home court in Big 12 play is critical to having a good Big 12 season. They did that tonight. They got to 1-1. One and one. You could argue that they should be 2-0 and oh right now in conference play with two top 10 wins. That's not what the record's going to say. So they are 12-3, and 1-1 one and one in Big 12 play with Houston coming to town this weekend. Very good win for the, the Frogs. I wouldn't qualify it as a must-win necessarily, but if you're not winning your home games in, in the Big 12, then you know, you're know you not going to finish in, in the top half of the conference. You're not going to be a tournament team. That's just how things go in this conference. Okay, let's jump in. I'm not going to fully speed run these questions, but we are going to... We are going to hustle through this episode. All right, H-Town Frog 22 says, over-under on men's basketball conference wins. They are 1-1 one one right now. I see a pretty clear path to them getting to like 10-8, and 11-7. I think this is the year they get over 500 in Big 12 play. And it's because of that unbalanced schedule that the Big 12 is working with now because they've added player uh, added schools to the conference, right? They don't play Kansas again this season. They won't play Houston again after this home game on Saturday. So they get Houston, a newcomer, but one of the best teams in the league, at home, and they don't have to make a return trip. So that's really big. Um, they don't have to go to Texas this year, right? They get Texas at home on February 3rd. They don't have to travel back to Austin and play there. They get two games against Cincinnati. They get um, two games against West Virginia, who's really struggled this season. Um, they get a home game against Central Florida. Granted, Central Florida just beat Kansas on Wednesday, but that was in Florida, and, and the, the Knights have to come to Fort Worth, right? They don't have to face Oklahoma again. They don't have to travel back to Norman. They get that one game against the Sooners. Um, this is a, a pretty favorable schedule for TCU. I think this is the year they get above 500 to that 10 and 8, 11 and 7 mark in conference. Go Frogs FW <clears throat> asks, when is the 2020 football schedule, 2024 football schedule being released? Um, I don't know. It should have been sometime this, this month. <clears throat> Um, but I, I have not heard, uh, any, any specific date on when, um, when that schedule is going to be released. I know they released the matrix for matchups over the next couple of years. Um, TCU, I believe has a road game against Utah next year. I think they've got a, a home game against Arizona. I think there's a question in here somewhere about ranking the, ranking the conference games next year. So let's just, let's just move on to that. Um, Task Force Frog, which TCU football roster edition excites you the most going into the spring? Every offensive lineman and every defensive lineman. I think that if you are a college football program that is not intentional about how you build up your offensive and defensive lines, then you are not serious about winning in this conference or in this league. 
in the country. Like you're just not if if you are a college football staff that says we can just outskill people, you're unserious. You're USC, right? If you're not winning in the trenches, you're not winning football games late in the season. Um, you're not going to win conference title games. You're not going to win major bowls. You're not going to go to the playoff. You're not going to have success. If you do not establish something up front with the dudes who put their hand in the ground every single play. So I'm excited about the intentionality that Sonny Dykes and his staff have had about addressing the needs in the trenches through the transfer portal. Um, I, I cannot overstate how important it is and Sonny's been intentional about this since he got on campus. I think I posted a tweet a couple of weeks ago, sometime in December. The number of offensive linemen that came in from the 2020 to 2022 classes, I believe, was five out of the high school ranks. And in the 23 and 24 classes, plus the transfer portal, I believe Sonny Dykes has now brought in 19 offensive linemen. Um, and the 2022 offensive lineman that, that signed out of high school signed after Sonny got here, committed to TCU after Sonny got here, and then signed on early signing day. So it has been apparent from day one of the Sonny Dykes era at TCU that he is committed to putting together the best possible offensive line because that's where everything else starts. That's everything else feeds off of can you block for your quarterback? Can you block for your running back? Because if the answer is no or not consistently, then nothing else matters. Not a single thing matters. And it's the same on the defensive side of the ball with the defensive line. And TCU fans, that was a lived reality for you this year. The ability or inability to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks will make or break your defense. And in 2023, it broke TCU's defense. It cost Joe Gillespie his job. And so anytime TCU brings in a highly regarded offensive lineman or a highly regarded defensive lineman, that gets my heart pumping. I'm, I'm excited about that because I want those big dudes to be the heart and soul um, of, of, this, of this team. Let's see, Angelos Frog. Which team is more likely to make the NCAA tournament this year, men's or women's? Well, it's men's now. If I had answered this question a week ago, I probably would have said both. Um, but the the broken finger for Sedona Prince has really set the women back quite a bit. They're 0-3 in Big 12 play now after a loss at Texas on Wednesday. Um, and they got to get some things figured out, right? Losing Prince is a major, major loss. And I, I, I said this on the last episode too. I don't know that they necessarily have the bench depth this year to overcome an injury of that magnitude. That being said, that's typical in year one of a new regime. Uh, it's typical, especially when you're talking about a program that has struggled like TCU's has in recent years. Um, and I don't think that this conference record will necessarily be any kind of commentary on Mark Campbell's ability to coach and lead this program. Um, I think he's the right guy for the job. Every conversation I've had with him reinforces that belief. Um, and I think he's going to make the best of a, of a bad situation with Prince out for however long she's going to be out. Um, 
And so I'm excited to see how they adjust. I'm excited to see if she's going to be able to come back and play it all this year. Because if she can come back in a relatively you know, short amount of time, then there's maybe still an opportunity for, for the Frogs to salvage some of the season. 799 BC says, does the Longhorn Bowl loss make you one happy or two more happy? Indifferent. I mean, I was I wanted Washington to win because um, I really like Michael Penix. Um, but I am generally indifferent when it comes to the Texas Longhorns. Um, that's just, I don't know. There are other teams that I'm I'm happy when they lose, right? Um, Texas isn't necessarily one of those teams. Not that I was sad that they lost, but whatever. WL Royal, number one, best bowl game that you watched. Um, gosh, the Pop-Tart Bowl was fun because of all of the chaos surrounding the mascot. I think the best football game I watched, though, including the national championship, was mm, it was probably the Sugar Bowl. It was probably Texas Washington. The Rose Bowl was fine. It was incredibly sloppy, right? Uh, sloppy football isn't fun football for me. And both of those teams did some really ridiculously simple things poorly. Uh, for Michigan, it was almost everything on special teams. For Alabama, it was snapping the football. Um, but with Texas and Washington, uh, I thought both teams executed really well. I thought it was good on good for for the majority of the game. Some questionable clock management decisions that it's really easy to kind of, you know, Monday morning quarterback when it comes to Washington. Um, but all in all, I thought that was an excellent football game. Really enjoyed watching that. Uh, second question from Royal. Based on portal movement thus far, what's your way too early win prediction for football? I was having this conversation with Jeremy as we were driving back from the Oklahoma game after Thanksgiving. And I don't know that the portal has necessarily changed this opinion for me too much, but I could see 2024 being a relatively average year for TCU. Um, When you look at what they're trying to reconstruct along the offensive line, losing four starters, looking at the current state of the quarterback room, looking at what they have to do on defense now, especially in light of the fact that they're changing defensive coordinators. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I, I think at, at any given, in any given year, getting to that eight win mark is a signal of a successful season. Um, I'd be interested to see if they can get to that next year. Again, schedule hasn't come out. We don't know when when bye weeks are, when they have to travel certain places, right? All of that'll make all of that'll make a difference in in my actual kind of prediction when we get closer to that time. But you know, I, I would be interested to see if you can get to eight next year. And then the final question from Royal: Why can't men's basketball score against good teams? Well, they scored eighty tonight against a top ten team. I know this is retroactive snark to that question that was asked a week ago um this offense this this tcu basketball here's the thing that i think people don't acknowledge about tcu basketball over the last couple of years um because of the way they are constructing their roster in recent seasons 
they don't maybe meet expectations early and then they start to meet expectations later in the season as players develop, gel, roles are defined. The the understanding of what Dixon wants from them is is clarified. Um, TCU teams get stronger as the season goes on. That has been a pretty consistent fact over the last three or four years under Dixon. And I think we're starting to see that again just two games into Big 12 play. Yes, they lost a non-conference game to Clemson. That was a downer. Yes, they lost in a bad way, an embarrassing way to um, Nevada in in non-conference. They played an excellent game against Kansas. Officiating aside, that was an excellent basketball game. TCU probably put together their most complete game of the season in Lawrence. And then again on Wednesday night, it was a very, I mean, it was a dominant second half from TCU. A dominant second half. Plus eight on the boards. They had a 17-point lead. Uh, they kicked Oklahoma's ass in the second half. And they have another massive test coming up on Saturday against Houston. Um, they have to travel to Iowa State, who plays probably the toughest brand of defense in the, in the conference. Um, they have to travel to Texas Tech, travel to West Virginia, Right, uh, there are some really challenging games on this on this roster. Two games or on the schedule, two games against Baylor. Um, but I think we're going to continue to see this this team improve, especially as Avery Anderson and Jameer Nelson continue to get more comfortable running this offense. Um, Dixon said it after Wednesday's game. He says we're taking two scorers and we're turning them into point guards in reference to Anderson and Nelson. And I think we've seen their development take a big step forward in the last couple of weeks, and that's a really good sign. Redgrave09 asks, what are your thoughts on TCU's QB recruiting strategy? Sonny Dykes is signaling his intent for Hoover to be the starter in 24 by pur- purposefully pursuing backup quarterbacks like Ken Seals rather than pursuing a true challenger to Hoover. Is this the best decision? <sighs> I don't pretend to be a better quarterback evaluator than Sonny Dykes. Um, And so when it comes to that room specifically, understanding who Sonny has worked with and who he has developed in his career, I tend to just take a, I'm going to trust him approach because his track record is there. Would I like to see more quarterback depth on the roster? Yes. Did I like what I saw from Josh Hoover in the back half of the season? Also, yes. Do I think moving forward with a guy like Hoover and minimal backup options is the right move? Not necessarily, but we'll see. We will see. Um, It was a really good thing Josh Hoover was around this year. Because if he's gone and Chandler Morris goes down, who's your, who's your quarterback, right? I don't think it's good to consistently be in that same cycle of, man, if the QB goes down, who who is even there to step up, right? And I think with Seals coming in, Haney coming in as an early enrollee, and then you've got Ty Hawkins committed for 2025, I think we're starting to see 
similar to how he's approached the offensive line, Sonny Dykes build up this quarterback room a little bit more. Um, and uh, if that means that Hoover is the starter in 24 and then 2025 is the year where, hey, we're at the top of our development cycle and we're really going to make a run for it. Okay, well, then let's see. Let's see how that goes. Horned Up Frog. <clears throat> it's been a rocky start for TCU's men's basketball. What's the most glaring concern you see with them? I think we are missing a guy that will get your team a bucket when you need one. I think the difference between TCU's team this year versus past years is like, Maybe you don't have the top-end guy like Mike Miles or Desmond Bain, but you have multiple guys that can get you a bucket when you need one. And that makes a team dangerous in a different way than TCU has been dangerous previously. Uh, you know, you think about last year, look at how much this team struggled when Mike Miles went down in that Mississippi State game and then missed like five or six games after that. I think TCU was five, was one in five in the games that Mike Miles missed. Um, that this is a team that is more equipped to overcome injuries. And we've seen that in the first two games of conference play without Jacoby Coles, right? Coles has missed the last three games with a foot injury. He's, he might be back Saturday against Houston, but I mean, who knows? And this is a guy who's the second leading scorer on the team, you know? So I think that this is a team that is more equipped to overcome some injuries. I think the biggest concern that I have with this team right now is rebounding. They don't do it consistently enough. They give up too many offensive rebounds. Um, when they are in, when they are trying to rebound really well, like in the second half against Oklahoma tonight, they do it phenomenally well. But I think there are lapses in effort on the rebounding side of things that will get this team in trouble at times. It got them in trouble a little bit in Lawrence. They gave up. 15 second chance points. Uh, they gave up 16 offensive boards to the, to the Jayhawks. And uh, that can't happen if you want to be consistently at the top of your game in a conference that demands so much of you. Redgrave09 asks another question. How many additional transfers do you think TCU targets from the second wave of post-bowl portal entries? What is the focus? Mainly DB trenches. Have you heard rumblings of any additional departures? Haven't heard any rumblings of departures. I think that the secondary is probably the focal point. Golfing Frog. How many jello shots will be consumed at this year's College World Series by TCU fans? Um, I think, first of all, I have never been to Omaha. This is my confession to you, the listener. I've never been to Omaha. It is my greatest regret to this point. For the longest time, my full-time professional life has not afforded me the opportunity to go because of schedule conflicts. 2024, if they get back, that's the year. I don't care what else is going on in my life. I will I will be in, in Omaha, barring like tragedy, really. Um, and that means that I will be side-by-side -side with TCU fans consuming jello shots post-game. Got work to do pre-game. Got work to do during the game. Post-game, though. I will help contribute to TCU's jello shot count, which means that they're probably going to be up there on that chalkboard. That's for sure. Darth Frogius asks new football uniforms. I haven't heard anything. Have not heard anything on that front. Uh, here's the question I was looking for. Frogs, frogs, frogs. Next year, TCU plays Utah, Baylor, Kansas, and Cincinnati on the road. Rank these games from most to least difficult. Utah, most difficult. Kansas, 
Baylor, Cincinnati. Utah, Kansas, Baylor, Cincinnati. TCU plays Arizona Tech, Houston, OSU, and UCF at home. Rank these games for most of these difficult. Arizona. Central Florida. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, Houston. Arizona, UCF, OSU, Tech, Houston. Yep, sticking with it. You get to choose one of our currently committed incoming transfers, and he will be guaranteed to be named all-conference next season. Who do you choose? Name and off, pick an offensive lineman. Pick an offensive lineman. That's who I want. TCU Frogs 09, does the size of the transfer portal class give you optimism or pause based on last year's results? That's an interesting question. Because I think recruiting strategies and class sizes have less to do with on-field results most of the time and more to do with who's graduating, who is potentially transferring out, who you're going to ask to transfer out, those kinds of things. And so I don't really correlate size of this portal class to what happened last year at all what could happen in 2024 hey they kind of went back to the well got a lot of really talented g5 guys who they think can play up in the p5 next year that worked for them really really well in 2022 let's see if we can recreate some magic in 2024 i think is the concept behind this portal class and and i'm a fan of that I'm a fan of bringing in a lot of guys to compete for spots that start along the offensive line. And I am a fan of getting in guys who want the opportunity to compete at a higher level rather than guys who maybe the first situation didn't work out in their favor. And so they're looking for a new, new home somewhere else. Um, that's, that's totally just personal, personal thoughts and feelings there. Uh, Texas State Reptile, what's Bubba's status? Has Cos made progress in transforming him? Um, I think he's lost a good amount of weight. I think he's he's in a really good spot health-wise. Uh, player development-wise, had to come second to uh, getting getting his weight in control. And so I, I don't know that we're necessarily close to seeing Bubba play but I know that he's in a much better spot than he was when he got on campus. Um, there are a couple of posts on here about Dom Williams. Uh, he is a horned frog. That's all I'll say about that. Bleed Purple 10. Any insight into when we will hear about renovations and upgrades to Lupton near future, years away, not happening? Um, start with this. It will happen at some point. They have had conversations about it. I don't necessarily know that there's a formal timeline in place yet, but I would say probably sooner rather than later if we're talking about the timeline being three to six years away for announcing plans, right? Timeline is sooner rather than later. 
Uh, what are you most excited about heading to, into the baseball season? I, I said this before last season, and I'll say it again this year. This is a team that I think uh, should should get to Omaha. Um, and I'm very excited to see the impact that Peyton Tolley has on this lineup. Because TCU has not... Uh, Braden Taylor was phenomenal in every single way that a baseball player can be phenomenal. TCU has not had a power hitter like Peyton Tolley in their lineup in quite some time. And I think that this lineup is going to mash the baseball. Absolutely mash the baseball in a way that we have not seen TCU do in quite some time. And I think it starts with Peyton Tolley. Uh, For basketball, any chance we pull up some upsets against top teams in the conference? Well, hey, there you go. There's value in in waiting on this question because they just beat number nine Oklahoma on Wednesday night. Let's see. Um, Go Frogs 74. Any word from anyone in the athletics department about our involvement in the EA college football game? TCU submitted all the stuff they need to submit for that. It's going to happen. Any word on new uniforms for football next year? No word on that. Bare bare minimum win total. Uh, Like I said earlier, I think getting to eight, that's going to be the question. Can they get to eight? Um, The iron skillet, as far as I know, will be played out through 2025 unless they pay their way out of it. Um, any chance Horn Frog Blitz can get an exclusive with Avila sometime soon? We're working on it. And reasonable expectations for Frogball this year, like I just said, I, I think this is an Omaha team. Um, let's see. I think that might do it. I think that might do it. Here we go. Here are a couple more. Um... Cuckoo for TCU. What do you think the main objectives for the football team will be this offseason to try and ensure a repeat of last year doesn't happen again? I think I talked about that already. Kind of, It all starts in the trenches. If it's not starting in the trenches, something's going wrong. Um, uh, oh, I mean in terms of actual football prep analysis workouts, they're going to tackle a lot more. Uh, they're going to tackle a lot more in practice, I can tell you that. And I think that will have a major, major difference on this defense. Outside of new coach scheme, all that kind of stuff, they're gonna they're gonna pop some pads and practice this year like they haven't in the years past. Ludicliff. Listening to some of the other Big Twelve podcasts run down their twenty twenty four schedules, most aren't even considering TCU as a difficult game. Should they be taking us more seriously, or are they generally correct in their assessment? Would you take TCU seriously if you were an opponent on their schedule next year? I don't see why they would. I also don't see why that's necessarily a bad team. TCU got everybody's best shot this year after the run they went on in 2022. And I think in 2024, that might not be the case. Um, but either way, I, I don't, you know, whatever. Take take TCU seriously. Don't take TCU seriously. I think TCU fans are are used to being not taken as seriously as they'd like over the past, you know, 20 years, hundred years, however long. So maybe, maybe it's a little bit about getting back to the roots a little bit this in in 2024. Um, Frog Frog. This is behind the scenes. How the sausage is made question for Jamie Plunkett sports media guy in the mailbag. What all goes into your preparation routines for all of the frog sports you cover? You must spend a ton of time on campus and have an incredibly understanding wife. Um, I do have an incredibly understanding wife, uh, a wife who 
um, is just an absolute rock star of a human being. Um, still don't know why we, why she's been, why she said yes to marrying me and why we've been married for 11 years, but Hey, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain about it. Um, what goes into my preparation routine? So I think one of the hardest things to do, especially now is learn new faces and new names year over year over year, right? Like I've been covering TCU for a decade longer than that. But for instance, baseball, they turned over 22 new faces this fall. And, you know, when you think about covering a team, typically you think about covering a team, especially hoops and baseball in season. But I think what I really like is the ability to get familiar with new guys in the off season, right? Like, I didn't see anybody else covering TCU baseball transfer portal recruiting this past summer at all. There was no one else out there outside of Kendall Rogers from D1 baseball for a weekend watching and covering TCU baseball fall ball, right? Showing up to practices, talking to the coaches and the players, doing interviews, getting familiar with the personalities on the roster. Um, that's some of that kind of deep background work that I really enjoy doing just to build up some of those relationships and get to know guys a little bit better outside of, Hey, this guy wears this number and hit this number of home runs last year. Um, and I think what that does, or at least what I hope that does is come out in the content that I produce in the middle of the season. Right. Um, same with basketball, same with football to an extent, right? I think at least the content that I enjoy consuming just on a personal basis is content where I can tell that the person creating it has made an investment of time in getting to fully understand the subject matter of their content, right? That's part of the reason that I like Split Zone Duo so much is those those three guys, Alex, Richard, and, and Steven have been so faithful to covering this industry in a good and consistent way for so long that when they have uh you know when they sit down to do a, a podcast it comes through in the product right um i am very much anti talking head hot sports opinion let me get a clip so that everybody can retweet it and make it a hot take kind of situation. There are moments where I think I, I, I do have opinions that, you know, resonate with people. Um, but in reality, I prefer um, sports coverage to be more human and less hot takey. And so that's kind of how I try to model my sports coverage, if that makes sense. I don't know if that comes through. I hope it does. Um, but that's at least kind of where I, where I start. Um, are there specific tools like PFF, TCU media, Twitter podcasts, or frog staff leaks you rely on each week to be up to speed? I listen to a lot of national podcasts and guys that I don't agree with some of the talking head kind of guys that I just mentioned. Um, split zone Duo is a, a show that I really love. I respect the hell out of those guys. Um, the cover three podcast is another 
group of incredible uh, journalists who I really, really respect. I listen to Pate. Um, I don't agree with Josh Pate a ton, but I listen to him every week. Um, I listen to Staples every week. Um, and then, yeah, PFF is a tool that I like to use just to help give me some context. I also um, really, really appreciate the work that Parker Fleming does, Stats of War, um, because he has helped me watch football differently simply because of how he processes games with data and emphasizes what's important for a team to try and do really, really well. Um, and so I take all of that and um, I'll let it inform you know, what I'm watching and how I'm watching football or baseball or basketball. Um, but I'll also say this, you know, probably the best piece of advice I've ever gotten from somebody came from Sam Khan at the athletic. And it was while we were sitting in the hospitality suite at the Fiesta bowl, uh, last year where the media, all the media folks were staying at, um, at this really, really, really nice, uh, resort. Um, and they had a hospitality suite set up for us there. And a bunch of folks were just in there kind of having a beer one night. And, you know, he, he relayed kind of to this group that was having a conversation, the most meaningful bit of journalism advice he'd ever gotten. And that's simply right. What you see, you know, you are a lens through which other people get to experience this game or this moment or this milestone. And so be faithful to the moment by writing what you see. Um, and describing it and uh, that the simplicity of that advice has really resonated with me as someone who can get caught up in the numbers and the stats and want to tell everybody every single thing that happened just talk about the moment embrace the moment uh, and and describe the moment for for your reader and and um, you'll you'll be creating pretty good content when that happens. So those are, that's a little bit about the process and, and the preparation for me. Um, let's see. I think that's all of the questions. That was a nice one to end on. Um, this has been another episode of the frogs insider podcast. Thank you guys for all of your questions. I think the, the rhythm for mailbags in the off season will probably be roughly once a month. So, We'll, we'll regather in February when baseball gets up and running. Practice starts on January 26th, so they'll be hitting their stride at that point. Hoops will have gotten further into the conference play at that point as well. A handful more games under their belt. And we'll be closing in on, on spring ball, too, for football. So we'll, we'll follow up with another mailbag uh, sometime in February. But Melissa and I will be back to our weekly weekly recordings starting this past week. So you'll get another Frogs Insider episode in your feed wherever you get your podcasts, um, whether that's on the Frogs Insider exclusive feed or the Republic of Football feed every week from here on out through the rest of the spring. Thanks again to Hell's Half Acre and Home Field Apparel. Thanks again to Dave, Tex Dave Campbell's Texas Football for their partnership with us, and we will see you next time. Go Frogs.